We're going to talk this morning about my favorite subject, and uh, going fishing, yeah, <laughs> going to go fishing. So let me pray, and then we'll get to rolling. Lord, thank you for your word. I do pray that you will lead us and guide us into it as we look at it, and it will grant us a great deal of enthusiasm and, and uh, joy concerning our future and our time with you in the days ahead. And so we just thank you for our salvation. Thank you for um, the fact that we have the hope of eternal life in all that's happening around us. We look forward to seeing you. We look forward to being with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the topic we're going to talk about this morning, if you looked at your notes, is the New Jerusalem. And uh, let me, uh, because there was no electricity here at the church yesterday, uh, the, the PowerPoint that we normally have on the screen didn't get done. And so you've got notes and you'll have enough on the screen to fill the blanks in, but none of the scripture. So you'll have to listen careful as I read. You won't be able to follow with me on the screen on that. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21 then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away to the, uh, in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now, one of the questions is, is why is it called uh, the wife of the lamb, and the reason is because that's where the wife of the lamb will live. The wife of the lamb is us, the church. And so he said, let me show you the uh, bride, <clears throat> the bride, the wife of the lamb, and city isn't, but that city will be where we live. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of clear, crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gate were Gates were twelve angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So a little conjecture. Well, I won't stop there. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod, to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And, and he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements. That would be the thickness of the wall, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth biral, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates was a single pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is, has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. 
in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, uh, that's a lot of information, and it's a great topic to study and to read about. In your notes, number one, the New Jerusalem is a literal building, a city, not figurative or allegorical. So if you were to buy books on the topic, you'll find that a great number of people, theologians, denominations, uh, make this a figurative, not literal teaching, which is interesting because it's really hard to figure out exactly what the figure of speech is, what is allegorizing about, because there's so much information. And so to turn it all into a figurative and allegorical instead of literal uh, is a bit of a mystery in the sense of what you get uh, from that. And so, as we've learned already, if there isn't some obvious reason to make it figurative, uh, we'll make it literal in just a matter then of making application. One of the reasons why there's, it, uh, so many have made it allegorical is because there's so many aspects that are a little bit confusing, and so when you don't understand something, just make it allegorical. Uh, that's sort of the, what happens. But we're going to look at it as an actual, literal city uh, building that uh, exists even today and has, and we're going to be, that's, gonna, that's our home. That's where we're going to live when Jesus comes, is in the New Jerusalem. Number two, the New Jerusalem is where we, the church, the bride of Christ, will live with Jesus forever. So if you were looking to buy a house in Sile uh, or Albany and you were saying, oh, what shall we get it? You'll, you'll look, how big is the house? How, what size is it? How many bathrooms? How many acres? How old is it? You would get information about it, and that because, that's because it's going to be your home. You're going to live in it. So this is our home, and we'll be there for at least a thousand years, living with Jesus, hanging out there. And so it's kind of a fun topic to study, our future home, what it looks like, what it's going to be like, and how the whole thing is going to function Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And again, the term, this is the bride, is because we live there. We are the bride of Christ. We're the eternal companion of Jesus, his wife, and that's going to be where we live with Jesus. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. This is the beginning before the prof prophecy part. It's the seven churches that are there. And uh, Revelation three twelve through 13. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. That, and he was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so it says, I will write on him, that is those who overcome, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven. And so it basically is a connection uh, between us and the city. That's our home. That's where we'll live with Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, But just as it is written, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, 
and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, all that God has prepared and is preparing is getting ready for us in the future. And so if you think, okay, what's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? Uh, Paul says, you can't imagine it. It's way outside the realm of being able to understand exactly all that God has prepared for us, those who love him. John 14, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Do not let your heart be troubled even if COVID is around. Do not let your heart be troubled even if you've got to wear a mask to go into Costco. Don't let your heart be troubled because believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. So the new Jerusalem is God's house. That's where he lives now. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And so they're doing a little remodeling, adding on. And so with eight kids, we did that. Every kid, a little remodel, another remodel. We went from one bed to two beds to triple bunks. Uh, And so he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again. That's going to be cool any day now. As the ice was thawing off the trees all around our house, we have a metal roof and falling off big hunks of ice onto that metal roof. I was pretty sure Jesus was coming any minute. (laughs) I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so we will be in this house of God. Uh, That's our home. He's making a room. Uh, Mine's going to be bigger than yours (laughs) because I've got to have space on the wall to put my, my, my elk head and I uh, <laughs> don't know if yours is going to need that or not. Number three, it looks like other believers are going to live in the New Jerusalem as well as the church. In other words, there's classes of believers. Uh, Adam, he's uh, not part of the church, but he is a believer. He's in part of the family of God. Uh, obviously, Moses and Noah, we call them Old Testament saints. And so they will be there. And uh, there's those who become believers during the tribulation, tribulation saints. And so you've got these various groups of uh, God's family with different titles. Hebrews 11 says, All these died in faith, that is, the past, having received the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, Those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city. He has prepared a city for them. Now, this is Hebrews 11. Uh, the, and uh, we've just finished, if you remember Hebrews 11, it talks about the various uh, individuals. We call them champions of the faith that are used as examples. Uh, Gideon is mentioned there and all these dudes. And so it says God has prepared a city for them. And so there'll be the section of the city, Old Testament saints. There'll be the section of the city of pre-flood saints. And then there's going to be that which is the bride of Jesus. That's us, the eternal companion of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the myriads of angels to the general assembly, That's probably a term for these Old Testament saints. And church of the firstborn. 
who are enrolled in heaven, that's us, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So there's a number of categories or classes of believers that will be in this new Jerusalem living with him. Number four, the new Jerusalem is the present and eternal house of God. The new Jerusalem is where God has always lived, his house. And so as you go through, if you were to take your computer with your Bible program on it and, and just type in the search part of it, house and God, those two words, and most of those references would make reference to God's house, and you would read verses similar to what I'm going to read to you now. Psalms 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider her ramparts, go through her palaces, that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God forever and ever, he will guide us until death. And so the city of our great king, the city, the house of our great king, also called Mount Zion, Acts 7.55, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed, this is Stephen, he's getting stoned, uh, killed, and while that's happening, he gazes intently into heaven, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They're in this new Jerusalem, the city of God, as uh, Stephen sees them. Psalm 68 to him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are from ancient times. Behold, he speaks forth with his voice, a mighty voice, ascribes strength to God. His majesty is over Israel. His strength is, is in the skies, O God. You are awesome from your sanctuary, from your sanctuary or from your house, the house that God lives in. Number five, the new Jerusalem will sit in the place of the present Jerusalem. It will sit on this earth in the place of the present Jerusalem. Now, if you want to read about that, you can read about it in Ezekiel. There are chapters and chapters describing the location of the land. Uh, if we'd had all the PowerPoint stuff, I could have shown you a map of Jerusalem and the borders that are described and where everything sits, the various tribes, and I'll, uh, I'll have that for you next week. Uh, Psalms 132, For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. This is my resting place forever, uh, the present city of Jerusalem. Zechariah 2.10, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming. I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. My many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst. You will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. And will again, will again choose Jerusalem. Joel chapter 3 verse 20. Judah will be inhabited forever. Jerusalem for all generations. Ezekiel 37. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my, <clears throat> set my sanctuary in their midst forever. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them. 
I will be their God, they will be my people, and the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Their sanctuary is in their midst forever. Uh, some really nice person would want to run back there and see if you can find a bottle of water for me. That would be awesome. Isaiah chapter 60, chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in the arms. <clears throat> You're wonderful. Get a special reward at the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> Jesus says you don't even give a glass of water to a little child that you're not rewarded for it. And even though I'm bigger than a little child and this is more than a glass, you get rewards. Okay, now we're going to move into some Interesting information. Number six, the size of the New Jerusalem typically given in Revelation is too big to fit in Israel. So you probably just might have just gone right over that when you read, uh, we read the, the size of it. 1,500 miles that way and that way and that way. Uh, that's two-thirds of the United States. Um, that's a bit big for Israel. It's going to overlap a bit. It's going to overlap a lot. In fact, it's so high that the present-day satellites will bump into it. And so theologians often read that and are perplexed. So how is that going to work? Well, they'll often say, and it won't be on the ground, as it says. Instead, it'll revolve around the earth like the moon. And those who live in it will have the ability to fly from here to there, back and forth, to stay there. Well, it... it it's pure conjecture. There's nothing that suggests that. I mean, there's a sort of kind of hint, but most of the verses all say it'll be planted right here on the earth. And so how do you get a building 1,500 miles that big? Revelation 21, 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. He measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width are all equal. 1,500 miles. So, number seven, a cube 1,500 miles in its length, width, and height would cover two-thirds of the United States, would reach to the height that satellites would bump into it. So, let's look at a possible solution uh, to that problem. Number eight, if everybody's done with that last one, the Greek word stadia, or stadia, we get the word stadium, is the word translated mile. That's the word in the Greek, is the word stadia. And a more accurate number would be 1,320 miles instead of 1,500. Basically, took a number and just did what I do, that is, rounded it off <laughs> upwards. Fishermen always round off upwards. And uh, so it would be literally accurately, more accurately from that number, 1,320 rather than 1,500. 
And so, if you read uh, about buildings, all the ancient buildings, like the pyramids and the various things that you find written, the way they would describe those buildings was in a cubed number. So, I have firewood, I burn firewood, we have a stove which has been cooled with no electricity because we have a place to cook and, and heat water for coffee, etc. And so when you buy firewood, you buy it in a cord and you say, what's a cord? A cord is a measure of wood that's four by four by eight, I think. And so that's a volume of firewood, it's a cubed amount in the sense of multiply four times four times eight. And so many, many of the descriptions of buildings, there is, it's described in a cubed amount. And so another way of saying that, verse 9, another way to translate Revelation 21, 14, 1,500 miles its length, width, and height are equal would be to say 1,320 stadia would be the cubed sum, which would be 11 by 11 by 11. If you multiply that, that comes out to 1,331. So when you read the account, the description, the borders in Ezekiel that describes the outward borders of Israel and the various tribes and the part that's for the Levitical priests and the part that's for the temple, when you look at all of that, what is the dimensions for the section for the temple? Take a guess. 11 by 11 miles. Uh, the exact amount that the temple, this new Jerusalem, would be if that were a cubed amount, which it looks like everything would, would suggest that. Now, there's also some... Uh, let me just read the Ezekiel account to you. The measurement given in Ezekiel, that's number 10, is 11 miles by 11 miles. So somebody who's done a very good study of this whole thing in Ezekiel, if you ever have opportunity to buy Kenneth Wiest, W-E-S-T, uh, study of New Testament words, and uh, he does a study of that whole section with the New Jerusalem and, and in the book of Ezekiel and the, where everything is allocated and he's got maps and diagrams and pictures and reading the passage and describing everything and it's great stuff. Ezekiel 45, and when you divide by lot the land for inheritance... You shall offer an allotment to the Lord, a holy portion of the land. The length shall be the length of 25,000 cubits, and the width shall be 20,000. It shall be holy within all its boundary round about. Out of this there shall be for the holy place a square round about 500 by 500 cubits and 50 cubits for its open space round about. From this area you shall measure a length of 25,000 cubits and a width of 10,000 cubits and in it shall be the sanctuary, the most holy place. It shall be the holy portion of the land. It shall be for the priest and the ministries of the sanctuary who come near to minister to the Lord and it shall be a place for their houses and a holy place for the sanctuary." In area, 25,000 cubits in length, 10,000 in width, shall be for the Levites, the ministers of the house, and for their possession, cities to dwell in. You shall give the city possession of an area 5,000 cubits wide and 25,000 cubits long. Alongside the allotment of the holy portion, it shall be for the house of Israel. The prince shall have land on either side of the holy allotment and the property of the city adjacent to the holy allotment and the property of the city and on the west side toward the west and on the east side toward the east and in the length comparable to one of the portions from the west border to the east border and makes perfect sense, right? 
You got to take a little time. I'm just reading it to you to show that there's all descriptions that are given there. And so when you take a little time and you figure cubits into feet and you look at the locations that are given and you take a piece of map and you make a dot and you draw a line and make a dot and draw a line, pretty soon you can put it all on paper. And many people have already done that. So you can just read their account of it and see the picture. The, the various tribes where they're supposed to go, where the Levites live, and where the sanctuary goes. And that's an area that's approximately 11 miles square. The Dead Sea Scrolls, number 11, the Dead Sea Scrolls contain several fragments entitled, A Vision of the New Jerusalem. And it lists the dimensions at 18.67 miles by 13.3 miles. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls are not included in the canon of Scripture as inspired, but obviously it's writings by a group of individuals and almost everything in the Dead Sea Scrolls is identical to everything in the Bible. Now, this is a little uh, off from 11, but it at least references the fact that it's much smaller than 1,500, 1,500, 1,500. And so if we see that number is a cubed amount, then it fits. It works with everything that's described in Ezekiel and we can see how it can sit in that particular plot of land. Number 12, the New Jerusalem, even at the reduced dimensions of 11 by 11 miles, won't fit in the present site, so God will change the geography. <clears throat> if you've been to Israel, many of you have gone over there. If you go where Jerusalem is, you recognize it's kind of mountainous. And so if you're going to take a, a building that's 11 miles square, there is no place there that you have flat land that's 11 miles square, not even close. Zechariah 14.10, And the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hanel to the king's wine presses, people will live in it and there will no longer be a curse. Jerusalem will dwell in security. And so God's going to do a little changing the landscape. I don't think we're going to do it with shovels. Uh, God can do it fairly quick, but he is going to change the plain and make it flat so that the new Jerusalem has a perfect place to sit. Revelation 16, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it's done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there was a great earthquake, a great earthquake such as there has not been since man came to be upon the earth. So you go clear back to Adam, no earthquake is as great as big as the earthquake here uh, in the tribulation. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty, the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of wine of his fierce wrath, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. So a little bit of adjustment takes place with the earthquake, and things are smoothed out a bit. And there's a perfect place for the new Jerusalem when it comes down to sit right where the present Jerusalem is located. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4, every valley be, uh, let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's always fun to read about all this stuff and how it all fits together, Ezekiel and Joel and Jeremiah and Revelation. 
13. The New Jerusalem, even at 11 miles by 11 miles by 11 miles, will be huge. Standing on top of it, you will be twice as high as a commercial jet typically flies. And so, you know, you stand here and look towards Salem, visualize 11 miles, 11 miles, that's a big house. And there'll be room for all of us to be in there. Don't know exactly how big a little apartment we're going to get when we get there and how much time we'll actually hang out in there, but it'll be, it'll be big. Okay, some new information. This uh, stuff is so fun. I just had so much fun studying this. 14, there's a strong possibility that the New Jerusalem will be in the shape of a pyramid instead of a cube. So the measurement was gave, given in a cube thing, but it was the, the, the cubed amount of the volume of it which if you make that the case, the uh, dimensions in the Dead Sea Scrolls are probably going to be dead on. The Old Testament often describes God's house as a mountain. And so if you look at Mount Sinai today, you will see a mountain that looks like uh, more of a pyramid Shaped. Isaiah chapter 2, now it will come about that in the last days, the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established. The mountain of the house of the Lord. So this house, this temple, this new Jerusalem is described as a mountain, as the chief of mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths, for the law will go forth from Zion, <clears throat> the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so again, there's the city of God and it's called a mountain repeatedly. There's about 25 references to it in Old Testament passages that it says the city of God, the mountain of God, and it's located there, the place where God lives. The term mountain would be describing its shape. Psalms 2.6, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Psalms 48, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king, the city of the great king. Psalm 68, 16, why do you look with envy, O mountains with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. Isaiah 56, 6, also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath, holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Exodus 15, 17, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And again, described as a mountain. Galatians chapter 4, this is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. And so Mount Sinai and the new Jerusalem are compared uh, in possibly the same shape. 16, there will be no night. 
around the New Jerusalem. So I, I get kind of sleepy when I don't get sleep. I, was, uh, I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning on Friday. We prayed five days of prayer. I prayed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but somebody invited me to go fishing on Friday. So I skipped prayer on Friday, but I got back in time for the concert of prayer and communion. Uh, so I got up at 4. We drove over to the uh, Siletz River. We fished all day long. We got out just in time to make it here at 7. And so when I got there and sat down, Jerry said, would you write down the names of the people who are in the room? And as I looked around, I couldn't remember anybody's name. I thought... Man, am I going senile? I know that, but I can't remember their name. But the next day, after I got a good night's sleep, eight hours, I remembered your names. So evidently, my brain doesn't work so well when it's uh, sleep-deprived. Uh, yours probably doesn't either. But in my glorified body, I'm going to be able to just get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Sleep isn't going to be an issue with my glorified body. I'm not going to get tired. I'm not going to get weary. I'm not going to forget anybody's names. I'll remember everything uh, with my glorified body. I'm going to be able to think like Jesus thinks. That's going to be really cool because there's going to be no night. So that's a good thing. Revelations 21, And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated, illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. Isaiah 60, No longer will you have the sun for light nor by day, nor the brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your morning will be over. And so in this new Jerusalem, the city we live in, it's going to be well lit. Uh, it's going to be well lit. Uh, electricity is, no, is not on our house yet, but we have a string of LED lights, and I got a little bitty generator, and they run those LEDs pretty good. So we strung them around our house, so we're lit up like a, a city uh, with our, our lights. But here, Jesus will be the light and it will never go out. Number 17, the city of God has, was possibly on the earth in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> Ezekiel 28 this is describing the devil and his fall you were in Eden the garden of God the garden of God every precious stone was your covering the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the biral, the onyx and the jasper, the lapis lazuli the turquoise and the emerald and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. Holy mountain of God, which is possibly the new Jerusalem. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I've destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. 
And so it looks like this place was in the Garden of Eden, the New Jerusalem, the house, the temple of God. And then when the fall occurred and everything fell, then uh, the New Jerusalem, the house of God, uh, went someplace, maybe far, maybe not so far. 18, the Tower of Babel was probably in the form of a pyramid and inspired by the devil's desire to imitate God. You ever notice you go to Egypt, you go to Central America, you go to India, and you see these old temples built thousands of years ago. They all are the same. Uh, you go to Thailand and you see the buildings they built to foreign gods. They, they're, they're called ziggurats and uh, uh, pyramids. They're all the same all around the world, every time frame. So those dudes all get the same blueprint. Yeah, they're all motivated, inspired by the same devil whose desire is to be God. Nineteen ancient pagan temples built all over the world were in the form of a ziggurat pyramid-type structures. So the new Jerusalem will be bright, beautiful, gold, diamonds, emeralds, Number 20, the new Jerusalem will be our home with Christ, and from there we will reign over the earth as Christ's co-rulers. The new Jerusalem will be our home with Christ, and from there we will reign. Second Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Revelations 5.10, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Revelations 22.5, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Luke 19.17, and he said to him, well done, good and faithful slave, because you have, faith, you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. You are to be an authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your mina master has made five minas. He said to him also, You are to be over five cities. And so we will receive uh, rewards at the judgment seat of Christ and we will reign with him. And the rewards will basically be the extent of our rulership, our authority that we have with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.2 Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? The saints will judge the world. 21 we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be rewarded for how we have lived our life for Him. Now, many people read that passage in 2 Corinthians. I'll read it to you in a minute. And it just kind of doesn't compute. Because we've for so long just been fed this diet of we die, we go to heaven, then we sit on a cloud and play a harp. That's it. We don't think about eternity as being anything with activity, with anything with purpose, anything with plan, uh, anything with complexity. It all seems kind of just basic, simple stuff. You just go into eternity and sit in a rocking chair. That'd be all right for a couple of weeks. I don't know about eternity. Rocking away in a rocking chair. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the church. Every one of us is going to appear before him. 
that we may be recompensed, rewarded, paid for his deeds, his work in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3.13, each man's work will become evident for the day, the day we stand before Jesus will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, yet he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. There'll be some Christians that get, after the judgment seat of Christ, are going to smell like smoke. They'll have zero rewards. 22, many believers who are in the millennium kingdom on earth will be excluded from the new Jerusalem because of the life they have lived here on the earth. So, the church will live with Jesus in the new Jerusalem, but not all the church. Only those who are ruling with him. Those who have, at the judgment seat of Christ, been rewarded with that privilege. So, if you're not in the new Jerusalem, in the kingdom, where will you be? Fargo, North Dakota. Matthew 4, or Hebrews 4, Therefore let us fear, this is Hebrews, New Testament, let us fear, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Now this word rest is not talking about eternal life, because we don't work for that. It's by faith, no works required. Here, this is a works thing. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter the rat, that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, his works. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Disobedience. We heard, uh, Jerry, if you were here at first service, if you'll be here in the second, about obedience. He again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The one who has entered his rest has himself rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, be diligent to be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Not talking about working your way to heaven. Talking about your home, the new Jerusalem, whether you're going to be in it or in Fargo, North Dakota. You're still in the kingdom, but you're earning the right to rule with Jesus by the life that you live now. Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance that is the Lord Christ whom you serve. He who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, that without partiality. Matthew 8.11, I say to you that many will come from east and west, recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. That's not hell. That's outside the new Jerusalem, the bright city. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Ugh. It's like when you back into somebody's car in the parking lot. Ugh, I wish I could do that over again. 
And though there will be those that stand before the judgment seat of Christ and everything they've done is burned up, they have zero rewards. They're not in the New Jerusalem. They're somewhere else farming peanuts or whatever. And there's, there's going to be this regret. Um, sometimes we think, well, I thought it was heaven and there aren't any regrets. Yeah, there is some regrets. It's what I could have done, should have done here, didn't. And now there's nothing I can do about it. Matthew 25, the one Jerry preached on this morning, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge. I will put you in charge. That's the reward. Enter into the joy of your master. <clears throat> the end. <laughs> looking for some more pages there aren't anymore so all of that to say Jesus is coming and I have trusted him as my savior I'm born again I'm adopted into the family of God and when he comes I'll hear the trumpet I'll hear the voice say come up here my body will be changed in the twinkling of an eye I will have a body like that of Jesus that's eternal it's glorified it won't get sick it won't die. I'll be able to think clear. And then we will stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. If you haven't memorized uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, you ought to do that. Every morning I quote it. Every morning I say, Today, Lord Jesus, I will live my life as if it's the last before I stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ and give an accounting of how I've lived my life for you. And I'm rewarded, recompense for the deeds I've done in the body, whether good or bad. I will live my life like that today because I don't want to stand before you and have everything I've done burned up and to have you say, you lazy slave. I mean, how's that going to feel? That's going to be the reality for many at the judgment seat of Christ when everything they've done with their life is burned up because all they did was work their job, pay their mortgage, mow their lawn, pet their dog, and uh, do whatever everybody else does, but nothing of significance, nothing eternal. Anytime there was an opening or a chance to do something for their church, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, and then pretty soon it's over, and you have nothing to show for it at the judgment seat of Christ, nothing. That's going to be a sad, sad day. One last story, seeing as how I've got uh, 10 minutes left. Let's see, do I? Yes, 11.15, do I quit at 11.15, right? Yeah. Um, my dad was in the Navy 22 years up in a ship up and down the West Coast. We followed him wherever he went in a Plymouth station wagon. We were there to meet the ship, and we stayed there till it pulled out. Sometimes it would be a week, sometimes it would be a couple of months. 23 times we moved. Um, in, in from my birth to when I was 12 when he retired. And the one place we were there a little bit longer than most, it was in Alameda, California. And my mom said, let's uh, have a party when Dad gets home, uh, home from the ship, and uh, I'll give you all jobs to do, and I'll pay you. And then just before he gets home, we'll all go out and buy presents. So my job was to pedal my bicycle down the road, and Mom would give me a list of things to purchase and the money to buy it, and I would buy the groceries that fit in my basket and my bicycle. And when I did that, she would give me a nickel. And it was a pretty regular deal, so... 
potentially of earning a pretty good amount of money to buy a gift with. Well, the second day I went down there, I had a nickel in my pocket, and I, and I, I saw a package of bubble gum, baseball cards with bubble gum for a nickel. And the thought was, ah, there's a lot of days left. So I bought the packet, package of baseball cards uh, and the bubble gum with my nickel. And the next day I did the same. And the next day I did the same. Long story short, I spent all the money that I earned. And mom says, just before dad was due to come in, let's go buy presents. And I said to my mom, could I have a loan? I spent all my money. And she says, nope. So we had a party. Everybody gave dad gifts except for me. Now, I was 11 years old at that event, and I am now 72. But I can remember that event like it was yesterday. I, I remember the, the grief, the sadness, the shame. Uh, everybody had gifts but me because I spent it all. And I can't imagine what it's going to feel like standing before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and everything that you've done with your life is burnt up. You enter heaven, yet so is through fire, smelling like smoke. You enter into eternity, but you're not going to be that group that's ruling and reigning with Jesus. Uh, you're going to be shoveling horse poop in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, it's the worst thing I can imagine, short of being in hell, but... Uh, so it's worth thinking about where you're at right now, and it might be a good time to shift it into high gear, make up for lost time, because the reality is that we will stand before Jesus and give an account, give an account. Read the parable of the talents, the one with five, the one with three, the one with two, and the one with one, and the words to Jesus to that one. They were all his servants, and he left on a journey, came back, called them to accounting, and you don't want to be that third dude. That's not going to be a fun experience, and we don't have to be. We have ample opportunity to serve him to, to uh, earn rewards at the judgment seat of Christ by being obedient and faithful to whatever he calls us to do. Let's close in prayer. Uh, the only problem when we do questions, I can't ever hear. And, uh, so if you have questions... Uh, between now and next week, email them to me about today, and I'll, I'll see them, and then I'll have time to do it. I've quit doing the questions because even though you speak, my hearing is so bad, even with my hearing aids in, I just don't quite get it. And, and uh, so I'm not sure whether I answered it right or not, so we'll skip it. But email me any questions you might have. Father, thank you. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you that it's by grace, not by works, but as your children, you created us for good works that we should walk in them. And we will be held accountable for the life we live, our service for you when we stand before you. And those rewards will be significant. They're not going to be Mickey Mouse rewards. They're going to matter forever. And so it's worth sacrificing for, it's worth working for you, for what you will bless us with on that day. And Lord, those rewards will indicate our love for you, our service for you. Um, and we want to communicate that clearly by the life we live. We love you very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.